Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Today's guest is Shah Wasmond, MBE, no less. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. It's the first podcast I've ever hosted in person. So there's a different energy. There's a different vibe to this conversation. We go right into Shah's backstory, which is fascinating. She worked for the boxer Chris Eubank and worked her way up to this amazing entrepreneurial businesswoman that led her to receiving an MBE for services to business and entrepreneurship. And she was named recently in the UK's top 20 most influential entrepreneurs by the Sunday Times. How cool is that? And she doesn't drink and credits this to a lot of her ongoing success. She's got stories to burn. She's a fascinating lady. We're here to talk about her book, How to Fix Your Shit. I think you're going to enjoy this. This is going to be a cracker. There is a slight issue at times with the audio. That's my fault. This was the first time, as mentioned, that we recorded a podcast in person and some of the equipment wasn't quite in place. But don't let that get in the way of what is a fantastic conversation with a wonderful and inspirational woman. Enjoy. Really, obviously, you're going to focus on your book, but I won't mind just doing a bit of your backstory and all that stuff, and we'll just sort of roll with it. But I do want to then come to the book because um, fab. Thank you. Do you like the title? Yeah. Can you see there's quite a lot of uh, alcohol in there as well? There is. I Did know. you notice I that? I saw the money no beer quote and I was like, yeah. see? I, honestly, I cannot tell you, like, I'm a massive bookworm, right? So I read, read, read books all the time, and then to see, like, and it's happened on a few occasions now, like, one, you know, be in someone else's book, just that. Without, means, without them even telling you. Is a, is a mind. Yeah. But, and uh, we'll, we'll just get well straight into this, right? But I like it because for me, I really like these type of books when they're to the point and it's about getting stuff done. If it's too much, people don't read. Oh, well, let's talk about that because that's my big thing. Right, well, yeah, let's dig straight let's into go. that. Let's, let's go, go. Let's go straight into it. All right, let's just dive straight into the book and then we'll, right. we'll reverse engineer how to fix your shit. Yes. And what's funny about that title, right? I keep going, how to fix your... And I sort of bottle it a bit. And it reminds me of my mother-in-law. When my wife was growing up, there was a song by Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex, baby. I remember it! I remember that song. So her mum would sing in the car, let's talk about hmm, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about... All the good things. Yeah, and she wouldn't say the word sex, right? And it, so uh, shit, yes, shit, shit, let out, out shit. How to fix your shit? <laughs> it's, it's done. Now we can move on. How to fix your shit? Tell us a bit about this book, and then if you don't mind, start with the start about your struggle with the book because I was really interested in that bit. Okay, so the book reflects kind of the way I work the way I have relationships, friendships, I'm really straightforward. And I feel like as a whole, human beings overcomplicate their lives. And I think that happens with a lot of authors as well. We write, you know, we write 60,000 words when 32,000 would have done. And I think sometimes that's because it's, um, we're led to believe that 
the more verbose we are, the more intelligent we are. And that's cool if people think that, you know, I'm a little bit thick because I can't write more than 35,000 words. I'm all right with that. Because ultimately my goal is to create content, not just books, but to create content that people can actually consume. Because if you don't consume it and you just browse through it, it ain't gonna do shit. It is not yeah. going to help you. So I wanna create content that people, in fact, somebody called it inhalable content once. Right, <laughs> she was really senior in Time Warner and she said, oh, I love your books because they're inhalable. Yeah, just get it all in one hit. That's what she said, she said, I can pick it up, read it on a, on a plane flight to Barcelona and I'm done. And I, well, that's really kind of what I want to achieve. So going back to your other point about the challenge I had with this. So anyone who's ever tried to create anything um, creative so it doesn't have to be a book but books particularly are a struggle it could be a podcast it could be any kind of creative endeavor you get to a point where you question what you're doing yeah it's the artist's struggle oh my god I know that sounds so bougie and twatish so um, if you're listening <laughs> please apologize uh, I'm really not that bougie or twatish I promise but it does sound it but you get to this point where where you're kind of like I don't know, is, is this actually what I was supposed to write? And what I realized was I was writing a different book and I was really finding it a struggle. I'd got 70% of the way through and I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Yeah. I didn't, I thought, oh, you know, this is an okay book and you know, I can probably get away with it, Yeah. right? I've got a good reputation, I can get away with it. You know, I sell some decent copies and, but I'm not gonna be happy yeah. with it. So I thought, oh, fuck it, I'm going to start again. So I scrapped it all and Did I started you? again. That's, I mean, and that takes a lot of courage because it's that classic case, isn't it? You put all the effort in, it's like... Hours, hours. and weeks and months and then having to phone up your publisher and say, guys, I'm really sorry, I really don't like my book anymore. I've completely and utterly fallen out of love with it and I can't print it. Do you know what? And I sort of small bit feel your pain and understand where you're coming from. The book, I've just got another book coming out and I spent a long time writing this book and I sort of managed to crawl up my own bum at some point and just went off on this complete tangent. tangent. 100%, we we'll all do it. I gave it to someone and they sort of went, this is, this is rubbish, this is not <laughs> what you're supposed to be doing. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. And then I had to go back and pretty much do it again. Like, it's hard when you either somebody tells you that or you realise it for yourself. Yeah. And and then it's hard when you think, oh fuck, how much time have I wasted? Yeah. And then you realise that you were three quarters of the way up the mountain and now you have to go all the way back down again, only to climb it again. Yeah. And that's I don't know, I'm sure there are people out there who are listening who can write books, you know, really easily. A good friend of mine, Rob Moore, seems to churn a book out every single week. And I tell you, it's not that easy for me. No, it's not. And actually, when I've researched other authors, it's very rare that I ever find one that says, this is a really enjoyable job. They're all like, I hate it most days. And, it, and it's so difficult, isn't it? And especially when a book gets bigger, and then you have to go back and edit and read it. And suddenly it's taking you two days to read what you've just done. And then you go through that process many, many times. It's just like, it, it becomes a painful thing. In the end, I love all the research and then slapping it all down and go, oh, that's brilliant. Like the hardest bit is pulling it all together. We can do the research, the ideas, the post-it notes, but then when you've got to have that thread that links the whole thing together seamlessly, that's the hardest part. 
Yeah, and then also in your, in your case as well, it's refining it to the point that it's punchy and it, it's actionable rather than just a load of stuffing there, as you said at the start to make yeah, it sound. I don't, I don't want stuffing in my books, and, and I have been criticised on Amazon. It's really funny because I typically get five star reviews and one star reviews, and the one star reviews are all like, why is this book so short? And I'm kind of like, ah, dude, you missed the whole point. Yeah, yeah. I want it to be really punchy. I want I want people to read this and think, fuck, that's me. Right, now what do I do about it? I, I don't want people to have enough chapters to wallow in the fact that they've got shit to fix. I want them to go, yeah, Charles got shit to fix too because we all do that. It's the reality, but how can we fix it quicker? That was literally the sole purpose of the book. And that's what's so important because there's a sense of achievement. I know it sounds really silly, isn't it? But like when you can get through a book and go, oh, I've actually done like chapter three, four, I feel like uh -huh. I'm moving. Whereas when it's like 300 pages long and you're like, oh, I'm only a little bit into this, oh, my, how am I going to get through it? I think too many people burn out. And it's also the number one reason why people don't actually purchase big books in WH Smith. They it's might right. do more so on Amazon, but when they go into WH Smith or, Water, or Waterstones, they see the book and they get this sense of guilt that they're never going to finish it, so they put it back on the shelf. Really? Yeah, 100%. I would say that's so true. And even for me, when I recommend books, or, you know, I've got two young daughters now, I'm just trying to get them into this stuff, right? Because it's so super important. I know if I give them a 300 page, I'm never in a billion years are they going to read it, but this. They could get through it and enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? And boom, boom, boom. They're learning stuff quickly. They're making progress. They're more likely to stick with it. Making progress and momentum is crucial to everything, whether it's one year no beer and giving up drinking, whether forever or for a period of time, whether it's starting a business, stopping a business, getting married, getting divorced, whatever it is, you've got to have that momentum to see things through. And when you lose that momentum, it's like you're starting again. And it's so much harder for those runners out there. If you stop running and then you have to start again, it, it, it's just much more of a struggle than it is just to keep a slower pace all the way through a run. And I think that is so important. And we have this perfectionist mindset, or too many people, don't they? And it's especially around alcohol, you see it all the time. It's the same around business. It's like, if I'm not perfect, mm -hmm. then I'm a failure. So you get this stop-start, yeah. and then you're constantly having to get that momentum going again, whereas I think if you can get out of that perfectionist mindset and show up and fix your shit and keep that momentum going and realise it's not about being perfect, that's when great things start to happen. 100% and by asking for help. Yeah, and that, I know that's, that's in the book, right? That's one of your sort of core foundational things. That is so important. That, and also I think tribes are really important. Just on that note, and we touched on it earlier, and we'll come back to the, to the drinking thing, but it's so important to have a tribe that's a bit like you and supports yeah. what you do. For example, around the alcohol thing, most people, when they decide to do it, don't have a tribe. They, you know, until they join a one in a beer or something similar, I certainly don't. Like, on the outside, every single person I know still drinks. Yeah. Every single person. The only people I know who don't drink, well, you're one of them. I've got a new friend who doesn't drink. Who has never drunk. Never drunk. So let's just dig into that a little bit and then we'll come back yep. to, to the book. So tell us about your experience. Okay, so I mean, never is probably a slight exaggeration, but a very, very mild one. So I remember I must, <clears throat> I must have been about 14 and someone gave me some whiskey at a party. And I remember tasting it and thinking, you lot are fucking mental. This must be what paint stripper tastes like. Yeah. And it's like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I'm never drinking it again. There are, and I've never had alcohol since. Um, so if I'm at a wedding or a christening or anything, if there's champagne for a toast, I will literally have 
when I say a sip, it's probably not even enough to wet my tongue. Yeah, sort of but I'm not anti-alcohol in that way. So I'll, I'll have a drop and put my glass down. Whoever's with me yeah. who drinks knows I never drink and they pick it up and they finish it. So it's not like I'm, I'm you know, I don't think alcohol is the antichrist. But equally, um, you know, there's, there's deeper reasons. I grew up with a father who had severe drug issues um, and probably addiction issues period full stop and the ramifications of that for me as a child were we ended up living in a hostel for homeless families and I think that subconsciously deep down I probably have a fear that maybe I might have inherited some addictive genes and so my way of dealing with it is I'm not even going to find out yeah, I'm not going to go near it. I'm Why just never going to find out. Yeah. Like, it's just never... So I've never smoked. I've never done a single drug. I haven't even smoked weed. And the only alcohol I've ever consumed was a sip of, of whiskey that I spat out and maybe a few drops at a handful of weddings over the years. And that's it. Nothing, yeah. ever. It's amazing, really, in, in this modern era. It's quite rare. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exceptionally rare. Not only is it exceptionally rare to find someone that's never had a drink, it's almost as rare to find someone that has stopped drinking for their own proactive reasons outside of being forced to Um, and it's so difficult in this society as we've been talking about in in the terms of your tribe because most people you probably know still drink and how have you found that over the years? I have been really fortunate truthfully most people in my tribe don't drink really and really bizarrely because a lot of my friends and now I'm talking about you know friendship span over 20 years um, are in the media, that TV presenters, they're in the, the the spaces that most people would imagine consume a lot of alcohol amongst many other things. Yeah. Um, I started off in sports, so I actually started off in boxing. And I see some of the fans. <laughs> I'm a boxing fan. That's actually a signed Muhammad Ali glove. Is it really? Yes, it really is. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and I started off working with Chris Eubank, and Chris never tried touched oh, that's right yeah, he, he yeah. Doesn't, yeah. No, and neither did anyone around him in fact I think they were enforced not to so I'm not sure whether they did their own time but I found myself in a working environment where no one drank yeah and it just became the norm that no one drank so I'm not saying that actually my mum drinks my nan bless her she's 94 she goes to the gym three times a week and she has you know Bailey's once a week medicinal medicinal <laughs> my mum has a nice glass of wine um so on that side, I know plenty of people who do drink, but my social, social circle, most people don't drink. Yeah. And then how, in terms of like the business and your huge success that you've had, I know it's difficult to put it down to, to not drinking clearly, right? Because you've got a lot more to you than not drinking, but it is an advantage. Like we see it's personally, I've seen it's such an advantage that it's given me in the last five or six years, just that consistency of knowing that I'm showing up every day as me. Yeah, Yeah. I I think there's so many things that I see. Um, So we don't wake up with hangovers for a start. Um, I can't imagine what that must be like. Obviously you you have some prior experience of them, so you probably are are even more aware of of how great it is not to have them. But I think we, we, we don't have the same facade so we don't have the masks yeah i'm I'm sure we will still have masks to a degree but what i i find and it's really interesting for the book i did a lot of research on on alcohol and other addictions and the key reason that you find time and time again i know you will have found this is the main reason 
that, that people drink is because of who they think they become when they drink. Mm -hmm. They feel they are a better version of themselves, a happier version of themselves, uh, somebody who's more sociable, somebody who, if they are shy when they have a drink, suddenly that gives them the ability to suddenly start having conversations that they wouldn't have had before. And I would love to find a place where people felt like that all the time, whether they had a drink or they didn't have a drink, because then your choice to have a drink isn't based on you feeling that you are in some way lacking and that the drink or other substance that you need that to be a better version of yourself that actually think, fuck yeah, I'm a good enough version of myself exactly as I am. That is brilliant and so poignant because that's it. So what happens to people that do drink, to give you my tuppence worth, is that they've put this facade on, this mask on, and they've trained themselves with that mask for all these years. So the hardest part of stopping drinking is actually rediscovering yourself again. Yeah. It's really hard because people struggle to let go of all of those many masks that they've built up over the years, whereas like yourself, you've always been here. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't drink, right? So you've not, you, obviously we, we, we protect ourselves in many ways, but there isn't that obvious, I'm gonna have a drink to relax or to no. become someone. And I've been fortunate to have developed friendships and social circles that support all of that, which is why I love what you guys do, because I think that if someone is about to embark on the journey of self-discovery in a non-alcohol-free lifestyle, then they may well be the only one in their life or their close circles that is choosing to do that. And if they don't have a tribe and a group of people to lean on for support and camaraderie, and also to realize that actually, you can have just as much fun without yeah. drinking. Like seriously. In fact, most of my friends say they're so glad that I don't smoke or drink or do drugs because I'd be a fucking nightmare. Like, <laughs> like I've got so much energy as it yeah. is. Like, and, and I think that that's why what you do is so important is having that tribe of people around you. Yeah, just on that note, we're sort of going to ebb and flow a little bit, but I know one of your members in one of your groups, Sally Wilkinson. Yes, right, indeed. Many, many of our listeners will know who's an absolute superstar of one, you know, being such a fab lady. Tell us a little bit about that side of what you do and those business groups, because I'm sure what happens with many of our members, right, they've got this energy back, they've got this time back, yep. they want to do stuff. Yeah. So, and we can talk about the book as well, but let's talk about that. Side. So, uh, about five years ago now, not quite five years ago, I, I took a massive decision to resign from a company that I founded. We operated in the corporate space and I sat on a number of FTSE um, 250, 100 boards and I hated it, I hated all of it. I was doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons, for external validation, all the bullshit that so many of us fall into the trap of doing. And I just woke up and I thought, I just, this is not the life I want to live anymore. It's not what I want to do anymore. And the only person who's going to be responsible for changing this is me. So I started doing the one thing that I swore blind I would never do. My mum's a teacher, she's an English teacher and she's a phenomenal teacher, but let's face it, teachers don't get paid a lot of money. And having no financial stability as a kid, financial stability was literally my driving force yeah. since I was eight years old. I literally, from eight years old, I've been thinking, fuck that, no one's gonna take my life away from me ever again the moment I'm an adult. Yeah. And, and that's what I worked really hard for. So, but I realized that actually there's a different way of teaching, right? There's new platforms. So I now run a, I guess we'd call it an online educational company. Brilliant. So um, our core focus is teaching other coaches, trainers, consultants, anybody who runs their own business, works for themselves, is passionate about a particular subject, 
uh, in our language, we'd be teaching them how to co- how to become a six figure expert. So that's our flagship program, Brilliant. and we do that through online courses. We do it f- through business boot camps, which Sally's attended many of. Um, we have a membership site called the Six Figure Club, where we're all working towards six figures and beyond. And and it's it's similar to your membership site. So people pay a monthly subscription. They get a live Q and A with me every week to bring their business problems. Brilliant. We get world-class training from experts all over the world to teach you how to create your brand, how to build your online digital product, how to build a scalable business, because ultimately you and I only have so many hours in a day. Yeah, exactly. But we can create digital assets to teach and help other people, just like we would have done in the old school world if we were doing consultancy, where we would have sat in a room full of people and we would have shown them how to do X, Y, and Z. Well, now you can create a really engaged video series teaching them exactly how to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But you can then reach a thousand people, a hundred thousand people, rather than you know, five people around a table. I absolutely love it. And is it predominantly for women? Or is no, it, no, it's good. not. No, no. Um, I think by the fact that I'm female, we have a skew. So we probably have 70% female audience and 30% male. And I think we probably have a higher male percentage than a lot of female speakers because of my background. So I think if anybody knows me, they know like I, I'm, I, I don't really do pink and purple and diamantes and actually you'd be more likely to find me ringside at boxing than you yeah. you would do i don't know at, uh, at the chelsea flower show and that's what i thought because i saw i know you know obviously you're very vocal in, in that sort of the female space as it were but yeah. a bit like us like when we set up one in a beer it felt like it was all aimed at men but our membership 50 50 yeah. um because i think it resonates i think once the message is on point people are drawn to it anyway yeah definitely um, and then just quickly flipping back to the boxing things i'm interested what was Chris Eubank like? He was amazing. I, I mean, he's a real cat. He's, he's eccentric like and crazy, but amazing. I, I feel so grateful. Like, I have had so many people in my life and in my career give me opportunities way beyond yeah. what it looked like I was capable of doing on paper at that point. So basically, Chris said, I believe you can do this, so fucking go do it. And do that it. was it. And that's what I did. I think that when people give you opportunities, you've got to go above and beyond to over deliver yeah yeah and i think that's that's so true and so we get to like the driving force behind a lot of this for you was that financial yeah. I guess, freedom stability because yeah of- definitely from the business perspective and and kind of when i look at people's wealth shit because we've all got money shit health shit wealth shit relationship shit we've all got shit to deal with and so much of everything stems back to things that have happened to us in our in the past, in, yeah. the past, in yeah. our childhood as we were growing up, all kinds of things. And and it takes time to first of all even recognise that and then have the courage to address it. And then in the book, I know the, the back end of the book is basically all of those yeah. headings that you just you just hit there. For someone trying to sort of make that breakthrough and start it, what sort of advice would you give them whether it's to go alcohol free or start start a business? As you said, they've all got that shit they've got to deal with to get that momentum. And so much of it's like limiting beliefs, isn't it? Like barriers that hold you back. Massively. So uh, I always say to people, if you run your own business, you, your business can never outgrow you. You can't have business growth without personal growth. And yet, especially in the UK, we're, we're just about getting ready to invest in our businesses. We're just about at that point where I think people are much more willing to invest in their businesses. But people will be far more willing to invest in business growth than they will personal growth. We still find it a bit uncomfortable to say that, you know, there's something that we need to fix in ourselves. I mean, you know, if you're in the States, 
every other fucking person has their own strength, right? <laughs> like you feel the odd one out. Like yeah. you'll be in a, I mean, this is a true story. Like I can't tell you the number of times I've been in real like serious business conversations and out of left field, nowhere, nowhere, somebody will just say, oh, I was talking to my psychiatrist about that last week. And the way they say it is as if you were saying, oh, I was talking to my hairdresser. Yeah, yeah. But in the UK, we're still reticent. I think maybe we've got to the point where we have internally acknowledged we need to do something, yeah. but we haven't externally done something about it yet. So um, 100%, I think so many things come down to self-belief and self-worth. And those two things are intrinsically linked. I also think the need to use any kind of addictions or substances is also linked to self-worth. Yeah. The, the greater your inherent natural self-worth is, where you're not relying on external validation, but internal validation, the less you will ever be dependent on anything. Yeah, so true. Because it comes from within. And I think whether... So I think it's really important to note the difference between... And um, we'll talk about, and let's talk about health, money, and, and drinking, because it's, it's you guys. So from the drinking perspective, and I'm definitely not the expert on this, having, uh, <laughs> having very, uh, very clearly said I've never drunk in my life, right? Yeah. Um, but I have had people around me who drink, and that is, you know, um, social drinking has virtually zero impact on anyone, but it's when you go over the edge. So I think the first thing is, is to recognize are you going over the edge that point in which when you look back on it you wish you hadn't done it yeah. your behavior is such that you feel embarrassed is that a one-off occasion once a year in which case do you know what we all make mistakes exactly. and we can probably live with that or is it becoming an increasing occurrence because there's a big difference between somebody who drinks too much and somebody who's an alcoholic absolutely yeah and somebody who's an alcoholic doesn't need to cut back their drinking they need to never ever drink again yeah alcoholism is an illness that is swept under the rug and the carpet because we live in a society where drinking is so acceptable if somebody had the same degree of a problem with cocaine as they did with alcohol it would not be tolerated in the same way it wouldn't you wouldn't be able to hide it in the same way yeah so i do think that's really important that you know I, i'm not here to to have any expertise or guidance other than if you feel that that you're at the point where you may be verging on being an alcoholic then that requires intervention and it requires more than we could cover in a book and i'm sure you guys say oh, this absolutely yeah what it's, you teach. exactly and i think you hit upon some uh, points earlier on that, that bring it together that really like what we do is is prevention really it's people that are wrestling with this a bit uncomfortable with it do you know what let's do a challenge before yeah. it gets to that place yeah. and then you get to decide down the line if it does become once a year it's a wedding so what do you know Absolutely. but it's nice to get into that place and i think actually to start your book you talk about self-awareness yeah and i think that's really important and and uh to be aware of what your habits are and what are some of the sort of tools or tips um, that you'd give for becoming more aware? So I think self-awareness is one of those things that you you hear banded about and yeah a lot of people kind of probably think oh that's a woo-woo new age shit yeah yeah this is like oh another thing like mindfulness and meditation that I'm supposed to to cut off on a box but really it's I think it comes back down 
to simply understanding yourself. Yeah. So I would really encourage everybody to take an hour out, just an hour by yourself in a park, sit down with yourself and really think and be honest, like where you're at and who you are and what you're doing, how much of that is based on what you were told at school, the career you've got. Is it because you were good at maths at school, so somebody told you to be an accountant? Was it because that's what your parents expected of you? Um, are you in a menial job because that's where your background came from, yet you know that you could do so much more, but you kind of feel, well, I've done this for 10 years now, so now what? And ask yourself how much of what you're doing is a still a conscious, active choice of yours. Yeah. Rather than a passive, I did it yesterday, I did it last year, so I'm just going to carry on it's with that. It's sort of autopilot. That, absolutely. Right. That's one of the things I say is that, that in order to change anything, we have to get to the point where we're prepared to go left instead of right. And yeah. I use this analogy because how many times do we get in a car, end up at a destination, and we can't even remember driving there? Yeah. Because we're on autopilot, because we've done that journey so many times. That particular journey we've done in our sleep, we've done it a hundred times. So when we're doing this journey, we don't even think about where we're going. And that's where you have to do your own little intervention and really become self-aware and ask yourself, you know, is what I'm doing right now still serving me? Is this actually really who I want to be? Am I not doing the things I want to do because of how I feel other people will perceive me or judge me? Is it because of how I feel my parents or my husband or my wife will judge me or my friends? And how much of who you are and who you want to be is based on external things rather than internal? Yeah, it's, it's so important. So this is the bit I want to talk about next was mindset. Yeah. Because this is the stuff, right? The mindset and the action is so important. And, and what we see or I see on a huge scale is um, people that have had a relationship with alcohol and it's chipped away at their self-esteem, it's chipped away at their mindset. They're surrounded by these limiting beliefs. Then there's this like light at the end of the tunnel. They start to overcome alcohol and it's like, oh, maybe things can change. What is the sort of mindset stuff that you teach that someone could pick up on? All right, number one, before any tool that I could give you. Surround yourself by like-minded people. Brilliant. There is power in community. Yeah. Whether they're in your community because they want to be around other people who are going through the same challenges and have that support network, or they're in my community because they want to start up their own business. And you know, it's a, it's a lonely life as an entrepreneur sometimes. Just because you choose to run your own business doesn't mean that your friends do or your family does, and certainly doesn't mean they're all going to understand your goals and dreams and ambitions. If anything, you'll scare the living fucking daylights out of them when you talk <laughs> about the things you want to do. Yeah. And they're like, their minds are blown. They can't even understand what you're talking about. And so it's so important, your tribe, your wolf pack, your people. Number one thing, surround yourself with like-minded people. Next up, it's a muscle, just like going to the gym. So whether it's your confidence, your self-belief, your mindset, all of these things to me are, are interlinked and interrelated. So once you find the thing that you love doing, do more of it. You've got to constantly reinforce those positive beliefs. It's like a habit, right? Yeah. Um, I think they used to say that it took 21 days to create a habit. I'm pretty sure it takes longer than that in reality. Yeah, right? I think science says it's somewhere between that and 60 odd days, yeah. which makes much more sense. I think that makes more sense. So let's just say we, it takes 60 days to create a habit. So if you're trying to get healthy, let's say at the same time as giving up drinking, 
a lot of people, you know, they, they want to lose weight and they just have this random goal out there. They want to lose weight. Get specific about what you want to yeah. do, right? You want to earn more money. How much more money? You want to change your career. What career do you want to move into? You want to lose weight. How much do you want to lose? You know, you want to go to the south of France. When are you going? Like, get specific yeah. about your goals because then they become real and they become tangible. And chunking all of those things down into manageable steps is going to help you achieve it so much more. Yeah. So when you're looking at how do you shift your mindset, the most powerful thing for me has been, and I've done this my whole life, is, is something called modeling or mirroring. Different people call it different things, but essentially it means the same thing. If there is a goal that I want to achieve, right? So I want to set up a business that looks like this, or I want to look like JLo, or I want to give up smoking like that guy in One Year No Beer. Look at the person who is already doing what you want to be doing. Look at the person who's already got the relationship that you want to have. I'm not necessarily saying with that person, but the type of relationship. Yeah. Look at the person who's running the type of business that you want to be running. Yeah. Model, mirror what they did to get there. Brilliant. Success leaves clues, but you have to be conscious that if, if with all, you know, okay, let's use Jayla because everybody can visualize this, right? Jayla's 50, like Jesus Christ. There are women who are 25 who would die to look like her. Yeah. But if you want to look like J-Lo, you better understand that does not happen by watching Netflix every night, <laughs> eating two tubs of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah. It's dedication and above all, it's consistency. So if you want to get what someone else has, you want to get to where someone else is, it's totally possible for everybody. But you have to model and mirror what they did to get there. And you can't you can't shortcut the steps. Yeah. You can't say, well, you know what? I'd love to have a best-selling book, but I can't, you know, I, I haven't got the time to write the book. Or I'd love to have a best-selling book, but I'm just going to write it and see what happens. Or I want to look like JLo, but really I've only got enough time to go to the gym once a week. You have to do what the person who's got the results that you want did. Do it in your own way for sure, Yeah. right? But you can't have full results. Yeah, you've got to with half mirror, the effort. Exactly. Yeah. If they've put in, and do you know it's funny? Like when I go to the gym, I see the same people in the gym all the time, and the same people. I guess what the fittest looking people are. Of course, because it's consistency. Yeah, and it's the same. And modeling is such a, a brilliant skill to fast track you through. And I think this is such an important point that so many people would look at that and go, "Well, I don't really want to train five days a week." You're not going to get the same results. No, you're not. So two things on that. It's the number one reason why if people um, go to AA, they have a sponsor. It's called Modeling Results. The reason that you're given a sponsor is because that sponsor has been where you are and has seen through the journey. Yeah. I'll give you a personal example. So um, I'm only five foot four and most of my life I've been really tiny. Um, I've never been bigger than a size 10. And I just got overwhelmed with work and, you know, um, I've had, really, I've had a really challenging uh, upbringing. So when people think that, that things happen easily for me, oh God, I wish sometimes I think, God, if people, if we only knew each other's stories, right? Yeah. If we only knew each other's real stories. And very sadly, I lost my partner when my son was only three and a half. So almost everything I've done 
in his life for the last 10 years has been by myself. And there came a point where I just felt overwhelmed by everything. And, and because I felt overwhelmed by everything, I started eating shit and I wasn't exercising. And you get yourself into this catch-22 situation. <clears throat> you're tired, so you drink coffee and eat sweet food. And because you're tired, you don't exercise. And you don't exercise, so, so it's like this never-ending cycle. spiral, yeah. And it only goes one way. Yeah. At the same time, I had a friend of mine who's in the States and she was very public about her weight loss journey and she would post it on Facebook. Now, to put this into context, she had at least 140 pounds to lose. I mean, significant amounts yeah. of weight. So I've been watching her journey for a few months and being really inspired and going, yeah, go Rachel, good for you, awesome job, amazing. Until one day when I saw her post, and I'm just being totally honest, I literally saw this picture and I thought, fuck me, this has to stop right fucking now because the next post I see, she's gonna be the same size as me. <laughs> fuck that, like literally fuck that shit now. And that's a competitive side in me. But what I did is I literally called her up and I told her everything I've just said. Right, and we were yeah. laughing on the phone. And I said, oh my God, what the hell have you been doing? Yeah. And this is where mirroring a modeling comes in. So I'm on the phone to her. She tells me she had signed up with this trainer um, and he's based in Austin and he does something called um, fitness stalking, right? And so what it means is that you have to send him a picture of your scales every morning. You have to tell him what you're eating. You have to send him a shot of my fitness pal at the end of every day and a screenshot of your Polo or your Apple Watch to show you exercise. So basically you can't lie. Extreme accountability. Extreme accountability. You yeah. cannot lie your way out of it. It's yeah. like a thousand dollars a month. And you never see this person. You only communicate by like, what's that? I tell you before she finished telling me, I was on Google, found him, signed up, $1,000 a month through PayPal on a three-month program. She then carries on, I said, so, so what watch did you get? She tells me, I'm on Amazon, I've ordered the watch. Within 15 minutes of our phone call, the only thing I had left to do is I asked her, well, so what foods are you allowed? And she said, oh, I'll just email it over. I said, okay, cool, thanks. Got off the phone, printed out the email, went into my kitchen, took out a black bin bag and threw away every single thing in my freezer, in my cupboards, everywhere that wasn't on that list done. Within six weeks, I'd lost 20 pounds. I'd never put a pound back on. Brilliant. But and that's such a great example of the extremes in some ways. They have to go binary. It's binary. It's very similar. In the book, I call it, how do you get to the threshold sooner? Right? Because we all have a threshold. Yeah. You had a threshold when you gave up drinking. Exactly. I had a threshold when I thought this extra 20 pounds that I'm carrying, oh my God, no, enough is enough. When do you get to the point when enough is enough? And what can I do to help you get to that point sooner? Because I wanted to get to that point six months before I actually got to yeah. it. And you do make it, it's a really good point in the book. It's almost trying to synthetically get to that point now, right? Because yeah. if you don't quite get there, you're not all in. There's a huge difference between being 99% in- And 100% all in. It's massive, that 1%. It's binary. Do yeah. it or don't do it. Yeah, and that's- What does Yoda say? Try or don't try, like, you know, you do, so yeah. do, do or don't do, there's, there's no try, that's what he says, like, that's my Yoda quote. But it's so important to get to that point where you are binary, where you say, that is it, I am done. Yeah, I don't done. drink, or whatever, or whatever yeah. it is, and that's actually what the whole sort of flow or underpinning of the book is to get you to that place. Is Absolutely. To like, uh, whatever it is you want to do, 
you want to start a business, you want to close down a business, you you want to start a relationship, close down a relationship, you want to stop smoking, you want to stop drinking, you want to get healthier. We've all got different types of shit that we need to fix in our lives. And, and the whole premise of the book is to help you get to that point quicker. I'm not telling you that I can fix your shit for you. I'm telling you that you can fix yeah. your shit. You can fix it today and you can fix it next year. And all I'm here to do is equip you with better tools to help you fix it quicker and, and longer. I don't want it to come back because when you become self-aware, you become more aware of your habits, the bad ones that are most likely to attract more shit back into your life. Yeah, that's, I think that's a brilliant place to round it up. Well, thank you very much, yeah. my love. It's been absolutely fab, but just before we go, so where obviously the book is how to fix your shit. Yes, it is. Um, I'm getting a bit more comfortable saying yeah, that now. Shit! Shit! Um, where else can we find you? Obviously, Facebook groups, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Let's know what's going on. Uh, just go to shahshaa.com. Super simple. I have a weird name. Find me across Instagram, Facebook, anywhere. SHAA. And you can always type in my surname, Wasmond, um, which is, you know, yeah, good thing about having a weird name. You're, you're easy to find. But the best place, the best destination is simply shah.com. And if you go there, you can actually do a quiz. It's a uh, fix your shit quiz. And it will tell you what are the key areas of your life that you need some help with. Fab. That's absolutely brilliant. And a real pleasure to meet you. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. One